Do you want a politically incorrect gateway to a real history education? Then go to mclanahanacademy.com. That's mclanahanacademy.com. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 153. Are you ready to think locally and act locally? Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here, and thank you for listening to this program. If you do want to follow me on social media, you can follow me on Twitter, at Brian McClanahan. You can like me on Facebook, at Brian McClanahan. And you can subscribe to my YouTube page. Just look for Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to go out and search for all those things, you can go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. At the top of the page, you'll see all my social media buttons. Just click on those. Take you right to the account. Also, while you're there, give me an email address, and I'll give you a free ebook and a free audiobook. The audiobook is read by yours truly, Forgotten Founders in American History. And, of course, you'll get on my email list where you'll get an email from me a couple of times a week um, about various things. Of course, oftentimes about the topics of this podcast. So go out there and get that. It's worth it just for the ebook. Also, you can support The Brian McClanahan Show by going to brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. Any little bit you want to throw my way will help keep the podcast going, help keep the lights on. Of course, you can also go to mclanahanacademy.com where you can sign up for my courses. And you can get those courses. I've got one on Secession, one on Alexander Hamilton. Great, uh, great opportunity. You can sign up at McClanahan Academy for free. And then, of course, you'll get some coupons and other things as new material is available. Any discounts I run, you'll be on that mail list. So go out there and do that. Also, you can get Brian McClanahan Show gear at redbubble.com. You can get my logo on a T-shirt, a, a cup, clock, all kinds of cool things, stationery. And, of course, you can also find me at learntruehistory.com, where I teach classes with Tom Woods, Kevin Goodsman, Brad Berzer, Jason Jewell, Bob Murphy, a whole great slew of academics. And actually, the topic I'm going to talk about today is about the academy. So you want to get out there and get that. It's probably the best educational value on the web. And um, it's, it's well worth your, your hard-earned dollars to go out and to go to learntruehistory.com, T-R-U-E, Learn True History, and subscribe there. Okay, all of that said, let's talk about the topic for today. And this is an interesting topic, I think, and it's one that was actually included in, in a Facebook thread. I didn't respond to the thread, but it was in the Jason Stapleton Program, um, I guess, fan page, fan group. And they put me in a thread, and it was about uh, the, the question was, the, the topic of the thread is, why are college professors so liberal? This is an interesting question. And one that a lot of people wrestle with, the academy is always under attack because you have the perception that these college professors are way out of touch with society. And of course, looking around what's going on in the academy, it's clear that in many cases that's true. I mean, if you look at the uh, way that uh, quote-unquote conservative political activists are treated on campuses across America, if you look at the way, quote-unquote, conservatives or non-leftist ideas, it doesn't matter whether it's libertarian, conservative, you know, you take your pick, how those ideas are treated on college campuses, uh, you'll find that uh, they are, uh, co- these people are persona non grata. They come to campus and they're attacked. You have people, the snowflake generation, looking for safe spaces and coloring books and all kinds of things if a conservative comes on campus or somebody that has controversial ideas. Uh, it's, it's laughable, really, in what's going on. And so the question is, you know, why is this happening? Well, as I talked about in Schlesinger's The Disuniting of America, this has been going on for a while. Um, Really back to the 1980s is when you start finding this ramp up in in American college campuses. 
But that does raise an interesting question. Why are these professors, why are these professors doing these things? I mean, they're, they're instigating these students. They're creating the environment that allows this to happen. A lot of the administrators on college campuses were at one time professors. So why are they allowing this to go on? And there are many different facets to this question. Um, I think you could go back and look at the history of universities and find that when you start looking at universities themselves and when they were established during the Middle Ages, they were a challenge to the traditional order of society in many ways. So they've always been on the cutting edge of challenging traditional society, even though you look at some of the universities and some of the faculty and presidents and other things throughout history and take your pick of the university, but you would have people who would believe in the traditional order in these universities. You would eventually have Christian organizations, Christian denominations take over these universities, and of course that would push a much more traditional message in these universities. You look at your Ivy League schools in the United States, and in the 19th century in particular, even before that, the 18th century, you would have a very much a traditional American, or at least British, culture in place in these universities. But that began to change over time, and uh, a lot of times because of the ideas that were circulating around, particularly beginning in the middle of the 19th century as things like Marxism became more prominent, and uh, you had some of the reform ideas that started saturating the academy, and it's produced a climate that certainly is hostile to traditionalism, to the traditional order. I mean, traditionalism isn't even really a term, and tradition isn't an ism. Tradition is not an ideology. Tradition is custom, precedent, the way things are done. And so the universities often offer a counterweight to that, particularly when the idea is that we need to be innovative in teaching we need to be innovative in reaching students, and it becomes about retention and all kinds of things other than just the learning that would take place in a university environment. It becomes about dollar signs. In fact, I think one of the reasons why we are looking at a crisis in universities in the modern academy is because it is more about dollar signs. Universities are businesses now, and they're chasing federal dollars. They're chasing enrollment. They're chasing getting people in the door and keeping them there. And how do you do that? Well, you create an environment where you have to have the students make the grade to stay in. Even at some of your larger schools, this is a, in some of your, not just your, your second tier or third tier universities or your smaller colleges, this is a process by which some of your larger and more prestigious universities are going through. So you've got that. And I think innovation, when you start talking about uh, pedagogical techniques, Innovation becomes part of that. Well, we have to reach this student. We have to do this. We have to do that. We have to make these students happy. We can't have these students frustrated. And the inmates start running the asylum. Now, some of this also had to do because in the 19, really beginning in the middle of the 20th century, around that time period, you started seeing uh, academics who couldn't do much of anything else. They couldn't run businesses. They uh, weren't people who could go out and, and really get a job doing much else in the soft fields, you know, the humanities, things like that. They, these were not areas where someone would go out and run a Fortune 500 company or they would be involved in 
building bridges or building rockets or designing whatever, take your pick of uh, you know your, your defense aircraft or ships or your automobile. They wouldn't do anything like that. They wouldn't be involved in your hard sciences. Uh, you started seeing these soft academics, the soft areas, move left. And I'm going to talk about why that is, at least why one professor said that is, and I think it's complete hogwash, and I actually told him that to his face, and which was not a good idea because I was just a graduate student at that time, but I did. And that was part of it. And there's also something else going on here. And most of these professors, I think, particularly in your soft areas, your humanities, their entire existence is based on that term professor in front of their name. They're not anchored to anything. They're not traditionalists. There's nothing they're trying to conserve or preserve. Tradition means nothing to them. Many of them are either atheist or agnostic. They, don't, they aren't grounded in something. Or they're hostile to the thing that, uh, had, that created their environment. I have a colleague of mine who called it, and when you look at uh, the way that uh, the networking, social networking is taking over the world, he called it the revenge of the nerds. Because these people who don't like the traditional society that made fun of them, that wasn't necessarily supportive of them, they're going to get back at these people. And I think you find that a lot with college professors. But the superiority complex, which, complex, which is really an inferiority complex, is something that certainly dominates things like history departments. These people firmly believe that they are better than everybody else. And that elitism of these professors, their whole existence relies on that. They, they have to have people, they have to stand in front of people and have them think that they're smart. Uh, I've often told my students that, um, to me, uh, you know, I want you to do well. I want you to do as well as you can. This is not about me being smarter than you. I want you to be actually smarter than me because that would be good for society. Uh, so I want you to be successful. I want you to come out of where I teach and do great things and come back and tell me 20 years later, look at all the great things I've done, and I'll be, I'll be proud of you and happy for you. I want you to do better than me. That's the key. But see, a lot of professors, again, their existence relies on, and this is uh, Clyde Wilson wrote a, a very interesting uh, piece on this entitled Scratching Fleas about the anti-academic academics in the history department at the University of South Carolina. And how poor, they, they really didn't care about debate. They have thin skin. Uh, if you challenge them, they get very upset. They can't laugh at themselves. They can't, they can't admit they make mistakes. Uh, this is something that uh, that humility is something that I think is, or lack of humility is something that I think really mars the uh, profession. So I want to start actually and talk about somebody that I was uh, in graduate school with, and I'm not going to tell you who it is or where this individual teaches. But I will say this: this particular person, um, and it's it's indicative, I think, of this of this climate that I'm talking about, where these people can't stand to be challenged, and they have this superiority complex, which is really, again, an inferiority complex. They have to show how smart they are at all times. So this particular person uh, came from a middle class family in the Midwest. Uh, they have uh, close to twenty thousand followers on Twitter. 
Uh, this person has appeared in a documentary on Netflix. The dissertation that uh, this person produced at the University of South Carolina was subpar at best. The topic was excellent, but uh, they didn't do a very good job on it. Uh, and yet, this particular person, who's never really published anything outside of some articles in things like the Chronicle of Higher Education, uh, they've, they've gone into teachers at a, at a mid-level, at best, university, also in the Midwest. Uh, now, of course, that, that and I'm going to talk about that in a minute, that means nothing to me, but some people, again, they this is how they base their existence, where you teach, what you do. That's a very Yankee look at society. But anyways, this is what this person does. Uh, they have the most inflated sense of ego, I think. of And this person was not like this in, in graduate school at all. I mean, I think there were, there were signs of it. But in graduate school, this person was different. So I'm going to read you something this person wrote uh, about three years ago online on this on their blog. And uh, they have a blog that uh, gets a fair amount of traffic from what I can see. And uh, people, uh, people read this person's material and um, follow this person. And So anyways, this is what this person wrote in June of 2015. Quote, Oh, I know you want me to engage you. You want me to wrestle with your non-sequiturs, fictitious anecdotes about how blacks love the CSA and the faux evidence cherry-picked by your Uncle Floyd when he self-published his screed, scratched-out book. You want me, you desperately need me to see the truth in capitals. You want my nearly two decades' worth of reading, research, writing, and teaching to be wrong. You want thousands of other scholars and students to also be misguided. You want all the evidence to not exist. You want historical figures to have said things they simply did not say and to have not said the things that they did. You want up to be down. You want all of us to believe that your precious flag represents heritage and not hate. Your very identity demands that this be so. But I will not enable you. I will not be the trail guide for your climb up Mount Stupid. I will not honor your racist fantasies with my attention. I will not treat your belligerent self-delusion as a somehow valid viewpoint. I, period, will, period, not, period. Now this is an interesting look into this person's psychological worldview. I mean, and first of all, just, just, Take the beginning of this. I know you want me to engage. Like we're begging for this moron to come out and debate us. No, that's not true at all. We don't really care. And the only reason I found this is because it was sent to me from another colleague and who found this and said, look at what this person is doing now and as, as a joke because this is laughable at best. You want me to engage? No, no, really don't. Don't really care if you engage me or anyone else for that matter, because I really don't care what you think. You want me to wrestle with your non... Think of this, of the, of the perceived arrogance here, of the perceived... Uh, the arrogance, not just perceived arrogance, the arrogance, but the perceived superiority. You want me to wrestle with your non-sequiturs, fictitious anecdotes, 
about how blacks love the CSA and the faux evidence cherry-picked by your Uncle Floyd when he self-published his screenbook. Now, this is coming from a person who came from a middle-class, at best, family in the Midwest. And yet, he's putting down these other people that are from middle-class families or poor families, whatever. I mean, think about how he wrote that. The high-mightiness of this dimwit. And I'm going to say that, this dimwit, because I know this person personally. Not that smart. You want me. You desperately need me to see. No, no, we don't really need you to see anything. Obviously, uh, don't really care. But we don't need you, you individually, to see anything. Now, think about this next sentence. You want my nearly two decades worth of reading, research, and writing and teaching to be wrong. So he has, this person has to show that, look how long I've been doing this, two decades, 20 years, and I have just, uh, so I know more than you. Except that there are those of us that have been studying the same amount of time and longer who actually refute what you say. So would they say, for example, would Clyde Wilson stand up and say, you want my nearly uh, five decades worth of reading, research, and writing, which is of vastly higher quality than this dimwit's research, reading, and writing to be wrong. Of course, this individual would say that Clyde Wilson is wrong, and he's right. You want thousands of other scholars and students. This is appeal to authority. It's a typical logical fallacy to be also be misguided. Appeal to authority. You want all the evidence to not exist. Nobody's saying that. But see, this is a straw man. This is uh, Obviously, this individual never took logic 101. The straw man fallacy, the appeal to authority, all of these things are just saturated in this particular piece. And at the beginning of it, I didn't, I didn't list what this person said at the beginning of this little screed that he had online. But uh, at the beginning of it, it uh, shows all these links about all these you know, primary documents. It shows how right he is. And, of course, the whole point of this is to attack the, those that uh, were defending the Confederate flag in 2015. And the way that he uses language, climb up Mount Stupid, you're below me, this person has no anchoring whatsoever. They are, uh, the, honestly, the culture it, it just doesn't exist. They are lost, and it's actually sad when you look at what this person has become. It's sad. I, I actually feel sorry for this person because they've completely lost their anchor. Again, coming from a middle-class family, putting down middle-class people, putting down hard-working blue-collar people, which is what this person supposedly represents. That's, that's the perception that they always gave off. This person always gave off. That uh, represented blue-collar middle-class people. That's what I'm fighting for. You know, that's what they're putting down here. This is all to make themselves feel better. All to make themselves feel better. In fact, again, their existence relies on the status of the university they teach at, the status of the 
of the t- name or the, the term in front of their name, whether it's full professor, associate professor, assistant professor, all that. I mean, this is all that, that makes them who they are. Their personal lives are often in shambles. This particular person is the crazy cat man. Uh, they, they have no conception. They're not anchored in anything. There's no tradition to them. And so that is really the problem. I mean, where you teach matters. And, and people have asked me this before about you know, my particular academic career, and I don't really care. Because I do things like this, and I reach a lot of people, and I, and I think it's important to be down to earth and be accessible to people because that's really what history is all about when it comes down to it. Why do you want to produce works that nobody are going to read? Nobody's going to read, and of course, this person doesn't produce anything but uh, articles in the Chronicle of Higher Education that talk about how we need to diversify our teaching methods in order to increase enrollment and retention. Again, these catchphrases. So why do these people become liberal? Well, this was actually brought up in a graduate seminar when I was there, and the chairman of the department at the time said, the reason I'm a liberal is because I read history. And I said, that is just a stupid answer. I don't know how you got your PhD, because uh, I think if you read enough history, you can't. I mean, to me, there's no particular way you could be a liberal, quote-unquote a Marxist, or a leftist by reading history. It, because history is tradition. There's no way you could do it. Now, of course, you can find things in, in history that you say, well, that's not, that's not, that's not right. We, I mean, as, as Roman historians said, you know, the, the point of history is to find good things to emulate and bad things to avoid. But that doesn't make you a, a leftist. In fact, what you're doing is finding the good things. And so those good things become tradition. So you can't really be a leftist. But yet these people who believe these things, of course, they get stuck on reform. They get stuck on ideology. They get stuck on the, the part of history that really isn't history. It exists inside their own mind. And so that's what I always found fascinating. Now, you don't have this in all of your academic fields. You know, in your, in your business schools, oftentimes, you're not going to find many leftists. You'll find some. I mean, you'll find the Krugmans out there. You'll find these people. You'll find, this, you'll find the, 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 uh, the individuals that believe in uh, a very much uh, you know, progressive, centralized economy. You'll find that. But you'll also find a lot of conservatives, quote-unquote conservatives, even though that's even, what does that term even mean? These are just strange terms at times. Uh, but you will find in other fields, in the hard sciences, others, where you, you won't find as many. You'll find fewer engineering. You'll find fewer leftists. And, and some of the you know, biology and other things, you're going to find some leftists, particularly those that go into environmental science and these other areas. You're going to find them there. But history and literature and these type of fields are just saturated with them. And that's because the material they're, they're, they read, the things they look at, really skews their mind in a particular direction. Now, for me, it never worked that way. And what I found was tradition. What I found in history was the things that we should emulate and the things that were good about tradition that should stay. I didn't want to tear anything down. The whole point of history is to build on, to be on the shoulders of giants, to build from that. So why are professors liberal? I think some of it has to do with a mental disorder in some ways, to be honest with you. 
um, this this inferiority complex. It makes them better. Uh, it satisfies the need for power, for approval, for uh, this particular type of um, reliance on ideology, which is certainly leftist. It's reform-minded. You go back and look in history, you'll find that, uh, you know, the people that are ideologues are typically on the left. And the quote-unquote conservatives allowed them in in the 1950s and 60s. They started hiring them because they thought, well, I mean, we need to have diversity of opinion. And then, of course, these people being really what they are, totalitarian, authoritarians, they didn't want any other competition because they're thin-skinned. They're like this guy. They're, they're like this former graduate student person of mine uh, who doesn't want to be challenged. And that goes back to a lack of culture. Uh, if you look at this individual's blog, they have no culture anymore. Nothing. And uh, it's actually a sad thing. They talk about on their social media accounts, scrolling through Twitter late at night, looking for answers to things and history, just scrolling through it. Because they have nothing else. After grading papers as quote-unquote professor and scrolling through Twitter, they have nothing else. Nothing else in their life. There's no real tradition there. There's no worth to themselves other than what they can get other people to think of them. And by putting other people down like this, by calling people stupid, by showing their supposed superiority because they've got two decades worth of research but really produce nothing of worth, in terms of anything uh, academic, any contribution to society other than teaching at their university, their mid-tier university and that nobody cares to go to, uh, they, their only worth is tied into that. So it's actually very sad. Um, and I think... You know, of course, leftists breed other leftists. I mean, there is something to that. When it comes to you know academics, they get involved and they, they have their students do this. And of course, that is part of indoctrination. I think that comes down to it. You want people to believe like you, so you tell your students to do what you do. At the end of the day, we have to understand that the academy, the modern academy, the point of it is indoctrination is to ensure that these people have perpetuate their ideas through their professorships. And so that's why they put on airs as they do. That's why they put other people down. That's why they inflate their own small egos to try to make themselves feel better and more important about what they really are and without producing much of anything. Um, to and, and I could give you example after example of individuals who just are not that bright but yet they think they are, and they haven't really produced anything that would be worthwhile and yet carry on like they're the smartest people on the face of the planet. Uh, but academics are leftists because of what they were taught is important and because of trends. They want to get jobs. They want to maintain, they want to maintain uh, positions.
positions, they want to get grants, they want to be accepted, they want to have papers, they want to do all these things, and of course that's the climate, so that's what you got to do. If you don't, then you're ostracized, and you have to work outside of that. And that is not as easy as just fitting in. So I think that these people that think they're speaking truth to power, I mean, this individual really believes speaking truth to power, telling these people what's up and giving them the what for. But what they don't realize is that they're speaking truth to no one and that they're just conforming with what everybody else in the academy thinks. They're in their own little echo chamber, and that's all that really matters. So I don't think most of these people would last five minutes actually out in the world where they have to operate being challenged all the time and having people really um, viciously critique what they say. I mean, they don't. Students won't do that. The administration won't do that. And, the, of course, their echo chambers won't do that. And when you do, to try it on social media sometimes, they block you. <laughs> uh, so it's just really sad. But... Uh, hopefully that's my contribution to this thread that said, you know, why is it that act, why is it that professors are so liberal? Well, there's several reasons: no culture, no religion, uh, their inflated sense of self, the lust for power in many ways. I think that contributes to it. So uh, this is part of the problem. And when you see things like what I just explained from this individual, it, it becomes clear that uh, they have some real deficiencies that they're trying to overcompensate for. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClain. <laughs>